That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, I'm Crystal Knight, and a couple of months ago, Newsweek approached me about doing my own podcast about democracy and liberal politics. Now, if you know me personally, this is something that I deeply care about. I'm a political strategist by day. I also do a little bit of political commentary by night. And I just love democratic politics in general because I care about why people vote and how people vote and the motivators behind what gets a person to the ballot or what makes a person stay at home. And so this show will explore many different facets of democracy from a democratic liberal angle. I plan to talk to activists, elected officials, entertainers, everyday people who just care about moving democracy forward. Today's guest is Katie Fahey. She is the executive director of The People. She also started an organization in Michigan called Voters Not Politicians, centered around reforming gerrymandering in the state of Michigan. I'm really excited about this conversation because Katie started her movement with a simple Facebook post. Many of us are already on social media. We grew up in the social media age, and it's amazing how one small post has led to the changing of a constitutional effort around redrawing the lines in the state of Michigan. Katie is a gerrymandering expert. That's what I'm calling her. She's an expert on gerrymandering laws, things that make democracy better. And Katie, before we actually get into the nut of this conversation, I'd love for you to just Explain to folks who you are, what you're up to right now, and what led you to the people. Sure. Yeah. So I'm from Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan specifically. And I made a Facebook post that said, hey, I want to end gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to help, let me know. Smiley face. Uh, And I didn't think that Facebook post would go anywhere, but it ended up leading to a 14,000 person effort to amend the Michigan state constitution to create an independent citizens redistricting commission that could uh, draw fair lines instead of our politicians drawing the lines for the redistricting process. It was amazing. At that time, I wouldn't have called myself a redistricting expert. But ever since then, we've been helping people figure out how do they do this in their state and how do you make sure you get fair representation. So I started an organization called The People that works kind of across the country, helping citizens take the lead in making sure we have a responsive and accountable government. Thanks so much, Katie, for sharing a little bit about your background. Um, But before you actually got to the people, you began Voters Not Politicians in the state of Michigan, going across the state, making sure that folks knew about redistricting, knew about gerrymandering, and really creating a citizen-led board that would take the um, redistricting process out of either a partisan party. Can you just explain to you know listeners a little bit about why voters, not politicians, was important for that time and if it's still in existence today? 
Yeah. So, you know, I had, I was freshly out of college and I had an hour long commute. So I started listening to news radio, local, local news and kept hearing basically about how out of touch our legislature was. Um, at the time, the Flint water crisis was happening in Michigan, which really has its roots from gerrymandering. Um, there was a law that was passed that took away local control from local officials if their city was in financial trouble, which Flint was. And the people of Michigan actually tried to overturn that law and were successful. They voted on it just when we voted in our new politicians. Well, one of the first things our newly elected politicians did was overturn the will of the people. Now, if you just got elected to office, why would you do that? Right. Because of gerrymandering, because you are pretty much guaranteed after the primaries to know if you're from the right party, you're going to win no matter what. They weren't afraid of the people's votes or and our ability to unelect or elect people that we wanted that we could hold accountable in Michigan was really low. And so it just felt like until we started fixing things like redistricting and like gerrymandering, we were going to have a hard time ever getting our legislature to listen to us about anything, including children having to go to school uh, without clean water, which just felt really ridiculous. And so in Michigan, thankfully, we have the citizen-led ballot initiative process, which means if citizens come together and write constitutional language, gather a bunch of signatures for the 2018 election, we had to gather 315,654 registered Michigan voter signatures in 180 days then we could actually kind of bypass our legislature and just have the citizens, the voters of Michigan, vote directly on whether we wanted to change this law or not. And so we were able to put that on the ballot and 2.5 million people voted yes. Uh, and it overwhelmingly passed to create that independent commission, which to determine how to, to change redistricting, we went around our entire state. We asked people, we had thousands of people come out to town halls and they really said, you know, we want everyday people that actually look like us uh, which our legislature isn't very reflective of the average Michigander. Um, and we want them to not be able to gerrymander. We want them to have to listen to communities and their concerns and draw these lines in a way that actually allows us to elect the people we want. And so uh, that commission has four Democrats, four Republicans, and five independent or third-party voters um, who just got done drawing the lines, uh, which look great. They are the most competitive we've, I think, ever had in Michigan, but at least in the last 50 years. And Voters Not Politicians is still around because we really needed to make sure people knew what this process was and how do you even go to an independent commission and talk about what you want representation to look like. As well as then, you know, we recognize that this was just the first step. There's a lot of other laws that need to change in order to still make sure that citizens can really have that check and balance power on our legislature. That's great. I, something that you just said really stuck out to me. 180 days and the number of signatures that you were able to collect. Did you hire a firm to help you? Was this volunteer led? How were you able to get so many voters across the state of Michigan to sign this, you know, these petitions in 180 days? That's not a lot of time, but that's a remarkable amount of people. Yeah. So when after I made my Facebook post, again, I didn't think it would lead to anything. I actually had to Google like, wait, how do you end gerrymandering? And once we saw um, those numbers, it was me and my coworker, and we tried to do the math on a napkin. Um, and we saw that even if the both of us quit our jobs, gathered a signature every single second, never slept, 
even on our own, we could not gather the signatures in that amount of time. Uh, it, it was thousands of signatures a day you would need. So as we found out we had this process, you know, normally people do already know their constitutional language they want to write, and they can have millions of dollars to hire people to gather these signatures, but we didn't. But what we did have was a lot of people who online had said, you know, I really care about this and I've wanted somebody to do something about it for a long time. How can I help? So we started organizing these meetings across communities in our state. We went to each congressional district at least twice and we found people who could help us um, uh, do these presentations in other languages and, and who already had community connections. And we went and we talked to them about what they wanted to see was a fair commission. And to our surprise, even though nobody knew who we were, but we had really tried to get the word out, it was standing room only every single town hall meeting that we held. And once people got invited into the process, understanding that we could actually do something about this was really motivating to people. I think a lot of times we hear about these really big problems going on in our country or in politics, and you almost feel a little helpless, like, what can we do? How do we actually get this fixed? And so having that pathway of being able to say, you know, yes, we have to gather a lot of signatures, but if we get 4,000 of us who can gather 10 a day, we actually can gather all these signatures on time and gather more than we need. Um, and that's really what the trick was, was actually just like going out and meeting neighbors and asking them to help if they wanted to also see this change. And what we saw was like thousands and then ultimately millions of us had been waiting for something that felt like our government would actually start being accountable to us. Um, Democrats and Republicans have gerrymandered the state of Michigan. I mean, it was really nonpartisan in a lot of ways because people felt like no matter who was in charge, the people who weren't getting results were all of us, the everyday people of Michigan. Wow, that's really inspiring. And, you know, for anyone that's listening, this was a grassroots led effort, correct? So you didn't come, yeah, from, come into this process with, you know, a well-funded machine. This was literally a Facebook post. People showed interest. You took action and it led to, you know, a referendum as far as, you know, changing your state's constitution around who can draw, who can actually sit on a commission and draw the lines for the, the next census cycle. So that really brings me to where we are today. So we're in 2022. The midterms are literally in a few weeks. You know, we're, we're weeks away from the midterms. And one of the things that's been happening across a number of states, um, there's been a talk about redistricting. There's been a talk about gerrymandering. There's been a talk about people being crammed into districts either for political advantage or being crammed into districts either for racial advantage. So one of the things that I've been learning about gerrymandering and redistricting is that it's not just a political advantage. Sometimes it can be a racial advantage, which makes many of these, you know, the, the way these lines are drawn illegal. And so when, when we're thinking about the midterm elections in states like Georgia, even states like New York, who don't tend to be heavily um, Republican led, they tend to enjoy a very Democratic, um, you know, state legislative body, governor, mayors, and so forth. How does this fight affect the midterm elections? What do you think, just understanding what happened in Michigan, you've just gone through the process in 2020, redrawing the lines. How do you think just this overall gerrymandering, redistricting affects midterms that we're going to see happen in a couple of weeks? 
Well, it's definitely impacting the midterms. And unfortunately, it will impact the next 10 years worth of elections because this process is only done after the census, as you mentioned, every 10 years. And in states where the legislature draws the lines, which is the vast majority of states in our country, if it's single party control, meaning that they have uh, whichever party, the Democrats or the Republicans have a majority in their state house and their state Senate and a governor who's of that same party, you can bet that they gerrymandered, that they saw, okay, we now have this advantage where we can lock in as many seats as possible that will lean our way for the next 10 years. Why wouldn't they take that? I mean, their incentive is just to get reelected. They feel like their ideas are the best. So they want to make sure that they can do that. But the problem is the voters are left behind then. The voters and our ability to say, you know, I don't like the direction of this uh, party. They can't assert that will as easily. And then sometimes it's almost impossible. The other thing it does too is incumbents, people who are already in office, who are about to run and try and get reelected in November, got to look at where their competition lives. And they got to say, I, you know, even if this person's from my same party, I'm worried that the voters might like them more. So I need to draw them out of my district so they can't run against me or so that I can run an attack ad saying they don't even live here. And that happens all over. Um, the amount of competitive seats, meaning that you don't know if a Democrat or a Republican is going to win, drastically decreased in this midterms mm -hmm. um, compared to previous ones we had. It's almost uh, half as many as we used to have. And the places where you see competitive seats still where you don't know whether a Democrat or Republican is going to win are mostly in states where either the courts had to intervene and redraw the maps or where you had an independent citizens commission that drew the maps because they actually drew them in a way that was fair and reflective. And when you already know the outcome, like if a Democrat or a Republican is going to win, that means that that race has already happened. So um, it's every a fixed state race. Has already helped. Yeah, every state has already had their primaries and whoever won that primary, whether they're the Democrat or Republican, they are most likely going to just win the general election. And the number of voters who participate in primaries is very few. And, you know, some states don't even allow independent voters to vote in the primaries, right. meaning there are entire swaths of our, our population who never really get a say in who's going to represent them in their state capitals and in Washington, D.C. So then, Katie, how do we fix this? If, as everyday citizens, we see this happening, it comes up every 10 years, many states are not prepared. They're not, they're, they don't have an independent commission. They haven't done the work to identify, like, is this a constitutional amendment that needs to be changed? Is this something that's a simple ballot measure? Are there a group of citizens in our state who care about this issue? How do we, we're in 2022 now, so we have eight years to prepare for the next redrawing of lines. What kind of advice can you give to listeners about this issue, right? About, you know, being redrawn, going to a polling location and realizing on election day, actually, this is not my polling location because the lines were redrawn and maybe I was not paying attention or I just didn't catch it. But how can people take action in real time, understanding that this will be the political map, at least for the next eight years? What can people do? Well, and politicians don't want you paying attention. I mean, it is not popular to say, hey, I just guaranteed I can get reelected as much as I want. And so if you are just hearing about this or you weren't really sure how it was impacting your state, 
first of all, that's okay. Um, and there, it isn't too late. Um, there is still an opportunity to actually see if there's lawsuits that can be brought against the existing maps. Now, unfortunately, our Supreme Court at the federal level has decided to not rule on whether it's illegal to say, hey, I know that you're a Democrat and I want your vote to count less, so I'm going to gerrymander you so it counts less. Or, hey, I know you're a Republican and I want your vote to count less, so I'm going to draw the lines this way. But they have said that about race. If you're purposely targeting a group of people based on their race and you're trying to make it so their votes can't count as much, that is illegal, which is good, but you have to be able to prove it. And a lot of times when these lines are being drawn, they're literally drawn like in a bunker, like where they'll go to a law office and not let people understand what data is being used or why they're drawing the lines they are. Um, but once you start seeing election results, you can start seeing uh, how effective, I guess, their their line drawing was or wasn't. And, and so there might be an opportunity in your state to bring a lawsuit, which means that the courts could order the lines be redrawn or even possibly redraw them themselves. The other thing I'd say, though, is this is an issue that Democrats and Republicans need to be upset about. Even if in your state you like whatever party gerrymandered, the people in office are making it so you can't elect the candidate of the party you like that you want because they have looked at how do they take that competition out. But the nice part is because this process isn't happening, most likely, uh, in your state unless the lawsuit's relevant for eight years, is it is a little less political to try and do something about it right now. You might have some unlikely allies who aren't going to be in office in 10 years who might recognize that, yeah, gerrymandering is wrong and might be willing to try and change those laws. You know, ultimately, you want to look at three different pieces of redistricting. The first one is who is drawing the lines. Can you get the politicians to not be the ones drawing the lines? Because they are about to run in the races that they're drawing the lines for. I mean, everybody agrees. Voters should be choosing their politicians, Correct. not the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes legislators don't want to give up that power. So you can then look at the second way that you can change redistricting, which is changing the rules that they have to follow in order to draw these lines. So in Michigan, we actually made one of the rules that it was illegal to discriminate against anybody based on how they who they vote for. That basically how people vote needs to be represented in this line drawing. You can do that at the state level. Um, or you could also say that they can't look at political data um, when drawing these lines. Or you might say that they have to first listen to the communities and what they want the lines to look like. And that has to be part of the process. And the third way you change it is looking overall at the process. So you can change laws to say things like, we need to see all of the data that was used when drawing these maps. So that if there is racial gerrymandering, you have the evidence in front of you. It's a lot easier to see and, and to make that case. Or you can say, we want to make sure the public actually is heard in these hearings before a map can be drawn. Um, so that's another thing we did in Michigan. Our commissioners actually had to go around the state to at least 10 cities before they were allowed to ever pick up a pen and start deciding what the maps will look like themselves. So some of those laws are easier to pass. And if you let your legislator know it's important to you, um, right now might be an easier time for them to say, you know what, that is that makes a lot of sense. Our citizens are concerned about fairness. They're concerned about corruption in government. Here's something I can do about that. Yeah, that's a that's helpful to give us those three bullet points on just how people can begin to view the process and decide at which inflection point they want to move forward with the fight. Are there any other states? I'm, I'm aware of California. I know just off the top of my head, that has a 
an independent commission that they created. And I just want you to speak a little bit about other um, commissions that might exist in other states, much like what you were able to create in Michigan. And if their process was similar or different um, than what you, you know, engaged in in Michigan. Yes. So California and Arizona really helped lead the way with commissions. And we got to learn a lot from them because they had already done the redrawing process before we passed our initiative in 2018. And so we learned that you should have a bigger commission. Arizona's is pretty small. They've only got five people. So the poor person who's an independent (laughs) always is being labeled as being partisan, even if they aren't. Um, And we learned uh, how to have an application process that let everyday people um, be a part of it. Our application process was a lottery, but it was weighted so that that meant that you know, people who uh, were from different geographic parts of the state and who were different races and ages had different economic and educational backgrounds, all uh, had a better chance of, quote unquote, winning the lottery to be on this commission. Um, Those are ways we were able to learn from that. Uh, Colorado also had a really great commission this last cycle. Um, They also were able to learn from Arizona and California. Uh, There are states like um, Idaho and uh, Washington, who have other commissions. And, and sometimes you'll have a commission that draws the Congress line, so the mm-hmm. people who are going for federal office. And other times you might have a different process for folks who draw the state lines um, for your state house and, and state senate. So um, there's been some attempts to do that in, in Missouri um, and Alaska, Hawaii. Uh, and they tend to get better results. Um, Virginia is an example of a state where they still kept politicians involved in the process, but they made it much more open and transparent. And they actually had citizens at the table for the very first time. Virginia doesn't have the ballot initiative process. So the politicians actually passed this themselves, which is pretty impressive. Um, Unfortunately, their courts still had to get involved, but then the courts ended up drawing much more fair lines than would have been drawn otherwise. And because that was a more transparent process, people could see that the courts would need to enter. Got it. Okay. And so just to repeat back what you just stated, there are states who have commissions that draw all the lines at once. Then there are states who have commissions that separate either the federal redrawing of lines versus the state redrawing of lines, just to make the process a little bit more fair um, for, you know, voters, for citizens. One of the things that you said was, People in some states have an application process to get on the commission. Who reviews those applications? How do people get selected? And how is that a nonpartisan process? Because if I'm on the you know selection committee for who decides to sit on the commission and I'm of a particular party, I'm a Democrat. So I'm likely to lean towards Democratic friendly, even if it's an independent, you know, independent that that's a Democrat friendly person who gets to decide and how do you, you know, determine if that process is truly, if it's fair. Totally. It's one of the biggest questions we struggled with actually. So California already had an existing government agency. I think it's like their auditor department. I might have the exact name wrong, but when they were building their commission, you know, this department is just, people who are in government, like that's been their whole life. They aren't partisan by nature. They aren't allowed to be. They make lots of decisions for California that need just nonpartisan. How do we make sure people know how to like write checks and hire people like they help other departments get set up. And so in California, they reviewed that. Now in Michigan, 
we don't really have any office that's safe from the governor being able to appoint somebody. Um, and that might be like a little dramatic, but for the most part, we saw like there's some way to influence whoever will be choosing these people. Right. And so when we were going around the state asking people like, what do you think is fair? That's actually how we decided on a lottery where nobody actually chooses the people. Now, a lot of folks were nervous about that because they were like, well, you know, what if, you know, somebody gets on that should be removed or something like that. So we added a process kind of like a jury goes through where our um, Republican and Democrat leaders get a couple strikes, but it's very limited. They get like, you know, 10 strikes each or something where they can review a finalized list of like 200 people. And if they see anybody who's a bad actor, they hopefully would prioritize removing them. But beyond that, we had a, a lottery. And again, that lottery had, or how it how it would run, it wasn't just everybody was equally put in. It, it had a, a weighted system where it tried to really look out for diversity and who would be chosen, looking at ge- geographic diversity. And then, you know, it had to choose four Democrats, four Republicans, and five independent or third party folks. Um, those folks also submitted essays talking about why they wanted to be on this commission that people could review. Um, and although that didn't automatically get them out if people didn't like it, it's a public facing job. Right. There were thousands mm-hmm. of people paying attention to this process. And some commissioners who were originally chosen in Michigan actually decided to step away because it was so public. And they felt like, you know what? I don't want to be scrutinized this much with all these people watching. Um, and it turned out really well for us. Uh, we had a mix of ages, somebody who was just going to college, somebody who has definitely retired, uh, folks with lots of different backgrounds, you know, like a lawyer and the community organizer and and just a wide range. And they were able to figure it out, just like those of us who started the petition, you know, my background wasn't in politics or anything. I, I crawled around in garbage cans all day setting up recycling programs. Um, but when you're called to a purpose where you know you want the system to be fair and you aren't already one of those political insiders, you, you really are trying to do your best. Um, and the Constitution requires you to do your best. So that that's a good incentive. Well, thank you for your call to purpose, helping to make the redistricting process much more democratic. So I want to get back to just the midterms and just thinking about the landscape. So obviously, this has been successful in your home state of Michigan. Are there other states that have consulted you asking for recommendations? Are there states that you know, you've looked at the landscape and said, oh, my goodness, the state of Alabama or the state of, you know, South Dakota is so gerrymandered that we really like that needs to be the next fight in the next eight years, eight, you know, eight to 10 years. Can you just give us a look ahead? Or are there any states that you've noticed where the lines just are very, very partisan or very racial the way that they've been drawn? North Carolina has a long history, unfortunately, of racial gerrymandering. Um, Their courts have already begun to intervene, which is good, but definitely a place to keep looking out for. As I look at some of the worst gerrymanders, I would say Wisconsin and Georgia are definitely high up on that list. Um, And if you're looking for a, a Democrat gerrymander, I think Maryland and Illinois are really good examples of Republican voters being shut out of ever getting representation in the next 10 years. Um... Unfortunately, those states don't have a ballot initiative process. So it is going to require politicians working, you know, giving themselves less power if they want to fix this. Or again, a lawsuit that can be brought. 
Um, but with how many lawsuits that have been brought, they start saying, you know, oh, it wasn't because this neighborhood was black. It's because black people vote for Democrats, mm -hmm. which is wrong on so many levels. But, you know, is part of how they're trying to cover their tracks of, of doing racial gerrymandering, too. Um, you know, what was exciting, though, is in 2020, uh, there was nine different states that do have the ballot initiative process, um, like Oregon and Arkansas and South Dakota and North Dakota, Nebraska. Um, I know I'm leaving out others, but a handful of others who were all looking at citizen initiatives because they do have the ballot initiative process. Now, a pandemic happened. And in some states like Nevada, it actually became illegal to gather signatures. Um, and you have to meet that deadline in order to qualify for the ballot. Um, oh, Oklahoma as well. Uh, but the citizens who wanted that have not gone away. Um, and they want to see uh, independent commissions get passed. And so especially, no matter where you live, I know there are other concerned citizens who want to do this. And there's organizations like mine, the people, but lots of others who are helping folks try and figure out what are the ways that we get action and, and representation. Because as I said a little earlier, when it comes to issues of democracy, it impacts every other issue. If you're wondering why your state hasn't improved education or the roads or um, healthcare or or environment or taxes or whatever your issue is, it is probably because it's gerrymandered and they have more incentive to listen to lobbyists and people with money than the everyday citizens because they aren't worried about losing your vote. They don't really need it. Wow. I love what you just said when it comes to issues of democracy, how it impacts everything. And, you know, Katie, that's really why people do what they do as it relates to politics because they want to make a permanent, if not short-term impact on the electoral process or just the lives of everyday citizens. And so I just want to thank you for taking the time to share about your background with Voters Not Politicians, also the, the organization that you're currently leading, the people, and just reminding listeners about their power and the power of social media, the power of their one vote and how you can start something with a small group of concerned citizens and really impact a statewide landscape. And so I wanted to give you any final words or any final thoughts that you may have about this issue, but also say thank you as we're heading out. Thank you so much. And you know, what's funny is I don't often tell this part of the story, but on social media, on Facebook, there's a thing where it'll show you like posts you made in previous years. And one popped up that was from two years before my Facebook post that actually led to many in the Constitution that said almost the exact same thing. It said, hey, I want to end gerrymandering. If you want to help, let me know. But no one even liked it, like zero likes. And the other more important part is I didn't do anything about it because I felt alone. I thought other people didn't care or didn't know about these issues. I was again, like listening to the radio, listening to podcasts. I knew I cared, but I somehow had just assumed other people didn't. And what I have come to know more than ever is there's actually thousands of us that are frustrated and want to do something and want to make a change. Um, you know, unfortunately the government regulates itself. So it gets to make laws about elections and how they in particular get elected. But our role from the very beginning of this country as voters has been that check and balance on that power. We're supposed to be regulating the government. We're supposed to be able to use that power to say, no, here's how we want the country to look. And so it really is up to us, even though it's hard, there's no guarantee, it's a lot of work. But again, there 
are millions of us who actually want to get this done far more than the folks who want to keep our country dysfunctional. So wherever you live, know that you can make change and that it really is up to us. We're the ones who have to live with dirty water in our schools. We're the ones who have to live with government dysfunction and, and whatever your issue is. And so we have the most incentive to change it. Um, and we can, we can. Thank you so much, Katie, for taking the time to talk with me and share with our listeners about everything that you've been working on. And I just want to commend you on the job that you are able to do, not only in the state of Michigan, but continuing to lead this fight into the future. I'm so grateful for your time. And I think that's it. (laughs) That's where we are. We're going to end right here. Thank you so much. And make sure you vote in the midterms. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That was a great conversation with Katie Fahey of The People talking about the redistricting process that she led in Michigan and all the work that she's continuing to do across this country. These are the kinds of conversations that I love having. You will hear more from activists and people on the ground who are thinking about ways to make democracy better. In the coming weeks, you should expect to hear from former politicians people who are engaged in criminal justice reform, people who are engaged in the fight for women's bodies and Roe versus Wade. You can also expect to hear a little bit about culture and what's happening right now in America. These are the kinds of conversations that I want to bring to you, the listener, to hear everyday people tell their stories about ways that they're making democracy better. Thanks for listening to the first episode of The Crystal Knight Show. Do me a favor, go to iTunes, Give me a five-star rating. We'll be back here next week. Thanks for listening to The Crystal Knight Show. Bye, Newsweek.